Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let's get into the Word today. We're going to get back to our series that we've been in, Jesus is Better, that we began two weeks ago. And uh, I just want to begin by just sharing a story with you. When I was younger, one of the things that I remember, some of my fondest memories, uh, were going over to my grandparents' house and uh, spending the night because in the morning, my grandfather was going to take me fishing. Does anybody like to go fishing? And, uh, and when I was younger, my grandfather loved to fish, and he had a boat, and, uh, and so we were in the Youngstown area, and one of his favorite places to go fishing uh, was up the road around near Cortland area, a place called Mosquito Lake. Anybody know where Mosquito Lake is at? Yeah, Mosquito Lake. Sometimes we come up here to Lake Erie, but that was a little bit, a little bit far, and his boat wasn't big enough, but we would go to, to, to Mosquito Lake, and we would, I would get up early and my grandmother would pack us lunches, you know, and all that. And we'd get out on the boat and, and uh, get it in the water. He'd let me drive sometimes, you know, and we'd get out to one of his favorite spots. And, and then he would turn the engine off and, and, uh, and, and we would get the poles ready and we'd sit there and, and we'd just be fishing. And sometimes he'd put an anchor down and other times he wouldn't. And the times he wouldn't, we would find ourselves caught up in conversation as we'd wait for, a, for the fish to bite, just out there, just enjoying a uh, relationship with my, with my grandfather. And, and, uh, and then he'd notice, oh, we've, we, we've been drifting. We've drifted a little bit too close, a little bit shallow over here. So he'd turn the engine back on and, and we'd get back out to where we needed to go. And then we'd stop again and we'd fish again. And, uh, and, and what I remember from that is just the, that, that if, you don't, if you don't have an anchor down, then when you're out in the middle of the water, drifting is possible. Drifting is possible. And the writer of Hebrews is about to caution us against drifting. The current of this world is moving in such a way that if we are not careful and we are not anchored correctly, we can find ourselves getting caught up in currents that move us away from Jesus Christ and his word. On summer vacations, my family likes to go to the ocean. In fact, we, we like to go down to the Myrtle Beach area and uh, like to go in the water. When my, my kids were younger, uh, we go out into the water, we get our beach chairs. You know, you always set up your spot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get your spot, you know, on the beach and you get there early, you get everything set up in your spot. Then you go in the water. And as you're playing in the water, it's easy to get caught up and not realize that, that after a little bit, you look up and you go, well, wait a minute, Where's my, where are my chairs at, right? Where's my beach towels at? Where'd it go? And you're in there and the waves are hitting you and you're playing, but you don't realize you're starting to drift down a little bit, right? Drifting is very real, isn't it? It's a very real thing. If you don't keep your eyes fixed on that spot we had to keep looking where is our eyes where is our fix then correct our course if you don't keep your eyes fixed on that spot you can find yourself drifting into a very dangerous situation well the writer of Hebrews is going to talk to us today about drifting in Hebrews chapter 2 so as we get ready to turn there maybe you're following along uh, in the app notes today uh, I want to begin by just reviewing what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago because Hebrews chapter 1 really becomes something that is important to understand what he talks about in Hebrews chapter 2. 
See, in Hebrews chapter 1, the whole chapter uh, did not contain any commands. It wasn't do this or do that. It was more about an understanding of who Jesus is as God's full and final word. Jesus was, the Christ, the Son of God, was God's final word to the world. In fact, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, the beginning of chapter, or verse 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us, to, spoken to us in his Son. Hebrews is, is, is all about saying and declaring the same thing that John declared in John chapter 1, and that is Jesus is the, the word, the final word, the full word, and the fulfillment of the word of God. And in, in, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What we're talking about is Jesus Christ. Jesus who always existed, Jesus who was the creator, Jesus who always was, Jesus who is God, who then took on flesh and humanity and became like us, fully God and fully man. In fact, uh, what we see in terms of this decisive word that God spoke is that, that everything in the word of God is rooted and seen in Christ Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus, according to Colossians 2.9. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus, according to Colossians 2.3. And beyond the Old Testament, what it told us and, and how, how we could relate to God, Jesus Christ was the exact representation of God. The exact representation of God and the decisive word. You see, a summary of Hebrews chapter 1 might let us know a few things that Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He, he made the world. He's the radiance of God's glory, it says. He's the exact representation of God's nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Come on, somebody. He made purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God's majesty. He's greater than any angel because angels worship him, and he is the mighty God. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus was the creator. He's the creator, not a created being, the creator. Therefore, Jesus is better. That's the message. Jesus is better. Throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. He is the sustainer, the owner, the ruler, and the redeemer of the world. And there is no one like Jesus. So it's on that foundation that we turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 starts with a, a word that links us back to chapter 1. It's the word therefore. Therefore. Because of what we know about Jesus that chapter 1 has tell, told us, chapter 2 then tells us a warning and a command in chapter 2. Therefore, verse 1, we must pay a closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we 
drift away from it. So here's what we know. Here's what we've seen. Here's what we heard. That Jesus Christ is the full and final and decisive word of God. That he is the creator. That he is the redeemer. That he is the sustainer. That that he makes purification for sin. That, That Jesus Christ is the one who holds all things by the word of his power. That he is better. He is the son of God. He stands at the right hand of the majesty of God. Therefore, pay close attention that you don't drift away. That you don't drift away from that. This is the first command in this book. It's the first duty that is mentioned. It's a warning not to drift. Not to drift. The author of Hebrews is concerned about the people that he's writing to. They were a people of a, a Jewish background who had accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The Jewish Messiah that they had been waiting for. The salvation and the Savior of the world. The one that brings salvation to them. And yet now they were being encouraged to come back and no longer rely on Jesus for their salvation. But to rely on the religion of Judaism. To rely on the heritage of being children of Abraham. To go back to systems and to go back to to the the systems of sacrifice. And go back to the systems of, of the feast. And go back to the things that pointed as a symbolism to Jesus who would come, but were no longer and no longer the way to salvation. They pointed to the way of salvation, but rather they were being encouraged to go back and to trust a religion and to trust a system and to trust something else for their salvation rather than to trust in Jesus for their salvation. Can I, can I just encourage you that, that we too need to be careful that we don't drift into leaning on religion for salvation. For leaning on a denominational label for salvation. For leaning on things that we do. I'm a good person. I do good works. I volunteer. I serve. You do that from a place of a heart that's been transformed, not of a place of trying to earn God's favor and salvation. You are not saved because of what you do. You are saved because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and placing your faith in him. But we can drift when it comes to asking somebody, so how do you know if you're going to, how do you know that, that an eternal life, that you'll spend eternal life with, with God? How do you know you'll make it to heaven? I have people that sometimes will say, well, well I'm a part of, of this particular denomination. Well, I'm a good whatever it is. That doesn't lean to salvation, but it's so easy for us to drift away from the salvation that we know and back into other things for justification and forgiveness by grace. In fact, he was concerned about this drifting, and so we ask ourselves, is drifting possible? Is it possible for us to to drift in our faith? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, the writer asked the question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Well, drifting begins with this word called neglect. Oftentimes we find ourselves neglecting the things that we know to do and the things that we should do. And when we neglect those things, we can find ourselves being caught up in currents that take us far from God's word. In fact, later we'll learn that we can also depart from God. 
Hebrews chapter 3, 12 to 14 encourages us this. I'll jump ahead of chapter. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. We're encouraged. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice that we're encouraged to take care, to not neglect, to, to, to guard our hearts from becoming hard and, and by the deceitfulness of sin. There's a warning here to hang on to our original confidence and, and not let go. What this tells me is, is that there are circumstances and situations that if we're not careful can shake our confidence, can shake our confidence in faith, shake our confidence in, in who God is. There are situations and circumstances, sin being one of them, that if we do not pay careful attention and guard our hearts can cause our hearts to become hardened to the things of God. We can drift into hardness of heart. I think there is nothing more than when we find ourselves offended. We find ourselves struggling with forgiveness. And we allow unforgiveness to root itself into our heart and before we know it, a bitter root begins to grow up and our hearts become hardened to the things of God. Be careful. Be careful. Hebrews chapter 6 takes it a step further when it talks about this idea of falling away. And it says that those who, who, who know Christ need to be careful that they do not fall away. It might be impossible to renew them to repentance. <laughs> Excuse me. Hebrews 6 chapter 6 verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tested the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him to contempt. What does that passage mean? That's a, a difficult passage to understand. In fact, many have allowed this passage to trip them up and to keep them from coming back to a faith in Jesus Christ when they've drifted away. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you slip up and you fall, that, that there's not a chance of repentance if you know in Christ? Absolutely not. F.F. F. Bruce, uh, a theologian and commentator, uh, addresses this, this with a practical truth. He says, those who have shared the covenant privileges of the people of God and then deliberately renounce them are the most difficult person of all to reclaim to the faith. Not impossible, but difficult. It's difficult uh, at times. It's not an indictment on those who are persevering in faith, on those who, who, again, respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which comes over and over and over again. It's not about slipping up and falling, for Peter slipped up and fell, didn't he? Peter had, had fallen. Peter had, uh, you know, he was really good for open mouth, insert foot. You know, I mean, he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, but in betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, allowed the time in which he was cut to the heart and convicted to lead him back to repentance and reconciliation and restoration. However, there was another disciple by the name of Judas who instead of coming back and falling on his knees when he was cut to the heart, decided that he was unworthy of salvation and needed to punish himself by taking his own life. 
Can I share with you that pride is one of those things that keeps us from coming and receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ? What I mean by that is, is we say, Jesus, I can't accept your salvation and forgiveness and grace because I need to pay for my own sins. I'm not going to let you pay for them. That's what Judas did. Jesus, I won't let the cross and let what you did pay for my sin. I've got to pay for my sin. Can I, can I just tell you that's pride? That's pride. Can I say that you don't have to pay for your own sins? That, that you can't? That even if you tried, it, it wouldn't be enough? It's never enough? That it is only through Jesus Christ that we find forgiveness for sin. There is, that, that is what salvation is, is all about. If you have a concern, if you've, if you've slipped up, if you've drifted and you're concerned about that, that means your heart is still open and Jesus is inviting you today to get your eyes back on him today. Back on him today. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 and 27 encourages us not to persist in sinning. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of the fire that will consume the adversaries. This is a direct ignoring of God's word. A deliberate, direct ignoring of God's word and going on persisting in disobedience and rebellion in things that you know that God has not said are okay. If you persist in that, you are persisting in hardening your heart and opening yourself up to God's judgment. I know this is like not one of those like, ooh, thank you, pastor, amen, messages. Woohoo! this is just so encouraging today. Yet at the same time, I feel like I've got to warn. I've got to warn. Because if we persist in sin, our hearts are hardened and we open ourselves up to judgment. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament that illustrates this. It's found in the book of Numbers and it's a, it's a very sad story. There, there, were, there were a people that had experienced God's salvation out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt and, and the promises of God were there and, and, and God delivered the people miraculously out of Egypt and it had promised them the promised land and he brought them into the wilderness and, and, and he had shown them his mighty power. He had shown them his mighty provision. He had provided manna every day. He had provided water from a rock. I mean, really, come on. He, he, he had provided quail that came in and blew out of, out of nowhere and they had more than they could ever want to eat. There was miracle after miracle after miracle. His presence was before them by day in a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. But the currents of drifting caught up with some of them. As the Moabite women began to come, they allowed their hearts to be drawn after the Moabite women and they began to worship the other gods of the Moabite women and they began to, to have adultery, sexual immorality and adultery with the Moabite women. And there was a plague that came upon the people of Egypt. And in the midst of that plague, rather than turn in repentance, one man decided he was going to come up and flaunt his disobedience, bring one of the Moabite women up, present her before Moses and everybody else, and then go into his tent and commit sexual immorality right in front of everybody, right in the midst of his tent in open rebellion against God. He had seen all of the amazing things that God had done and experienced the mighty deliverance like everyone else, yet he flaunted in open 
open disobedience and as a result faced the judgment as Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, the high priest, came and shoved a spear right through him. And the plague stopped. You say, that's radical. Ah! When there is radical disobedience, judgment is what follows. Be careful lest you drift away. Be careful lest you drift away from the truth. What, what causes us to drift away? What causes us to, to neglect so great a salvation that we, have, that we have experienced? Well, there are several currents, and I want to hit them very quickly, that can move us away and drift us away from standing firm in God's truth. In standing firm in, in God's full and final word. What are these currents? The first is the current of time. Let's face it, over time we can get weary and worn out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you are fighting the waves for so long, if you're out there, how many know when you come in from being in the ocean and you're fighting against the waves, you're tired. Anybody know what I'm talking about? On one of our trips when I was younger down to, to North Carolina, uh, my parents had taken us, my grandparents had taken us down. They took my brothers and I down, and uh, we went to Cape Hatteras, and, and my grandfather liked to fish, and, and we wanted, you know, at that time, I mean, not that we didn't like to fish, but we preferred to, to go out to the, to the beach, and so we went my grandmother to the beach, and we were out there playing. My grandfather was on the pier, and later on, we were supposed to pick him up. We only had one car at the time, and uh, man, we were so tired. When we got back in, we had lunch, and then we all fell asleep for a nap, and, and this was in the days before cell phones, and we forgot about my grandfather. Yeah, it was bad. We woke up at like five o'clock. Like, I mean, we were, we were passed out. Like, we were weary. And uh, we went to get him, and he was all sunburned, and he was, not, he was not a happy camper. Like, that was just, that was not a good thing. But when you're out there fighting the currents, you can get weary, right? You can get weary. Well, Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. See, oftentimes we can find ourselves drifting simply because we are tired, the currents of time. I think that was the church in, in, in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2 encourages them and says, I have this against you, you've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Abandoned doesn't mean just a decision to walk away, but rather a loss of passion that you once had. Over time we can lose our passion for Jesus if we are not careful and sometimes we can drift into relying on, on encounters that we've had with God and, and, and times that we've had with Jesus in the past. And so when we talk about it, we talk in fondness about the things of the past. But friends, what about an experience today? What about today? When was the last time you had an encounter with Jesus? When was the last time you, you took an opportunity to come and just linger at the altar and allow the Lord to work inside of your heart. Are all of the stories about stories that happened in the past? So does God only move in the past but not move today? Be careful that time doesn't allow you to drift. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead? I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've always got to be straining ahead, moving ahead. How about the current of familiarity? I think sometimes our faith can become commonplace. It can become familiar to us. And, and oftentimes the familiar, the familiar breeds compromise. 
the, the familiar causes us to let down on the things that we know we shouldn't let down, to let go of some of the disciplines that we, we know we shouldn't let go of. He told the believers in the church of Ephesus to go back and do the things they did at first because they had started to neglect those things. They had become familiar. How about the current of society or the current of culture? We can easily be induced by the currents of our culture. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Today, we're, we're constantly being bombarded by things. There are messages that come out of secular humanism and false religions and, and, and secular forms of thought that we can get caught up in believing as truth, but it's not the truth of God's word. If we are not anchored in the truth of God's word, then the currents of this culture and, and what this culture says is right and what this culture says is true can bombard us and we find ourselves drifting into compromise, drifting into accepting things that the Bible no longer says are true. Every day when you turn on the television, you are being bombarded with messages from this culture, many of which that do not line up with biblical principles. They don't line up with biblical truth. We live in an age that, the, that, that, that Scripture tells us that in the last days, people will call evil good and good evil. If you haven't recognized it by now, friends, we are in that age. We are in that age, and that is working itself in even among believers in the church. There is division even within the church over areas that are really quite black and white in scripture. But because of our hardened hearts, like Romans chapter one, we want to persist in disobedience. Be careful. Because in Romans chapter one, when they persisted in disobedience, it says that God gave them over to their lusts. God gave them over to their reprobate mind when they refused to acknowledge the truth that was plain before them and instead exchanged it for another truth. Friends, don't exchange for another truth. Don't get caught up in drifting away. Anchor yourself in God's word. The current of the flesh. There's a battle both without and within. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Friends, we are in a battle, not only externally. The battle is the Lord's, right? It is spiritual battle, but you are waging a war against a battle of your flesh. There's a battle in your flesh, and Paul encourages us in Galatians 5, 16, and 17, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. There is a battle of the flesh versus the spirit. And the currents of the flesh, if you are not careful, if you do not guard your heart, will take you far away. But if you will walk in the current of the spirit, you will find yourself anchored in Christ. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh and they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Be careful. And then the current of daily concerns. There are anxieties and pressures and stresses unlike anything else that we've experienced in our world today. There are daily concerns that if we are not careful, we can get caught up in the daily concerns that, that as the parable of the soil shares, that, that it, the, the seed went in and it sprouted up, that the weeds sprouted up and they choked it out. There are a lot of weeds today. 
that if we're not careful can choke out the word of God and the passion of God in our lives. Well, I need to hurry. What's the key to preventing this? Well, as I opened in the illustration, when my grandfather and I were out in the boat, if we put the anchor down, it kept us from drifting too far. And the key is, is to anchor ourselves. To anchor ourselves in what? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that we ought to pay attention. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Pay attention to what we have heard. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on something. Keep our eyes fixed on what? Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep ourselves anchored in his word. Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. So since this message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and miracles and by the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The things that we have heard. What have we heard? What are we to pay attention to? What are those things that we have heard? That the word of God is spoken by Jesus and is final in him. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep yourself anchored in the truth of God's word. Gift yourself into God's word like the Bereans did in Acts 17 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Two things, you receive the word of God, and then you take time to examine the word of God and, and search the scriptures daily. If you will do those things, you will keep yourself anchored in the truth of God's word, and you will not drift. To keep ourselves from drifting, we've got to anchor ourselves in God's word. and Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Worship team, will you come as I close? And I just want to close with one final illustration. Drifting is dangerous. There are consequences to drifting. Let me illustrate it. In October 31st of, of 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 was on its last leg from New York City to Seoul, Korea, with a stopover for refueling in Anchorage, Alaska. Unknown to, un, unknown to the crew, however, the computer that engaged the navigation system contained a one and a half degree routing error. Upon departure, that one and a half degrees, nobody really noticed it. In fact, even 100 miles out, nobody even noticed that they were slowly one and a half degree drifting off course. As the giant 747 continued over the Pacific Ocean, the plane was drifting increasingly off its proper course and eventually it was flying into a prohibited Soviet airspace. Soviet radar picked up the plane and they immediately began to, to release fighter jets, two fighter jets to go out and intercept the plane. The fighter pilots tried to make contact with the passenger plane but, but to no avail. Finally, one of the fighters fired a heat-seeking missile and the Boeing 747 was hit and plummeted into the Sea of Japan and all 269 passengers on board lost their lives. If the crew had only known that one and a half degree difference of drifting would lead them into a danger in which they would lose their lives and everyone on board, they could have stopped it. They didn't realize that that one and a half degree would take them nearly 200 miles off course and into danger. Friends, drifting is dangerous.
Drifting is dangerous. I want to encourage you that in Acts 27, they had a, a, a boat and Paul was on that boat and the storms were raging and they decided to let the storm carry them and run them aground and it literally cost them the ship and everything on board. Drifting is dangerous. Lot drifted towards the prosperity of Sodom and it cost him. Achan drifted towards the possessions of Jericho and he ended up walking away empty-handed. Solomon drifted towards the pleasures of many women that caused him miserable latter days. It's interesting, friends. When it's a ship, drifting into shallow waters is dangerous. When it's an individual, drifting takes you out into the deep and can cause you to drown. It doesn't matter. Drifting either way is dangerous. Vance Havner said comfort precedes collapse. So my question to you as we close this message is, are you drifting? Are you drifting? If you look up, how far are you from where you used to be in your relationship with Jesus? When you first came to know Christ and the, the passion that you had for Jesus and the excitement that you had and the desire to share his love with others and, and the desire to serve, is, is that same passion still there? Have you drifted? Have you drifted? I think we've been caught up in a whole lot of currents over the last couple of years. Can I just be honest about that? And I think sometimes we can get caught up with all of the daily concerns and, and all of the things that are happening and buffeted by the things in our culture that before we know it, if we're not careful, we are, we are nowhere near where we need to be in our relationship with Jesus. So I ask you again, have you drifted? Have you drifted? Have you drifted? Is it time to look up and where are my chairs located on the beach? How did I get this far? I'm in danger. What, what happened? Why am, I, why am I this far away from the truth? It's time. It's time to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's time to get recentered and anchored into his word. It's time to say, Jesus, I repent and I'm, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I don't, I don't want to drift any longer. I don't want to drift any longer. Can we bow our heads for a moment? Are you drifting? Is it time to get yourself right with Jesus again? Is it time to get yourself centered again? Have you found yourself in compromise? Have you found yourself buffeted? Have you been ready to give up? And it says, no, I've got to come back to Jesus. Is that you today? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. I've been drifting. I need to get right with God. I've been drifting. I need to get my relationship back right with Jesus. I've been drifting. Anyone at all, I've been drifting. Just lift up your hand. I've been drifting. If you're online, let us know in the comments. We want to pray for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Is there anyone, maybe you say, you know, I've never given my life to Christ before. And today I need to give my life to Jesus. I, I need the salvation that he offers. I need the forgiveness that he offers. If you need salvation today, will you just slip up your hand? I just want to lead you in prayer today. I just need to give my life to Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we just thank you today for your amazing love, 
Thank you that you are the full and final word of God. And Lord, today we want our hearts to be soft as we, we just allow ourselves, Lord, to be drawn back to our walk with you, to, to get back in a right relationship with you. Father, we just repent of our sin today. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us today. We ask you to cleanse us today. And Jesus, we, we come to you. We come to you today. And we just recommit our lives and our commitment to you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.